Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. A member of the church, <clears throat> a member of the congregation here, shared something with me that I thought was noteworthy to share with all of you, with his permission, of course. As this person shared, and as I pointed out in the first couple of lessons that I did on Romans, I talked about Paul and that he was speaking to Christians in Rome. Now, Paul had never visited them. Paul hadn't visited this church in Rome, but he wanted to go there. And he mentions it a couple of times, the book of Romans. And so, as we've seen through our Roman series, the church in Rome consisted of three groups. So it consisted of Gentile Christians. It consisted of Jewish converts, Christians who were Jews, and then Jewish converts who continued to hold on to circumcision. They couldn't let it go. And so this distinction becomes especially important as we're going to see next week and when we jump into chapter 14. But as this member correctly pointed out, though these three Christian groups were different from each other, they were all still connected in Christ. And so it is with all of us here today. We come from different countries. We come from different cultures, different backgrounds. But we're all connected in Christ. We are one body. We are family. We are the church. And so I just wanted to point that out. So coming back to our text this week, Paul is speaking to Gentile Christians, as we've been talking about, and they were being arrogant, they were being prideful. They thought of themselves as the new Israel, as if all the Jews were excluded, and they were the new body, the new church, and the Jews were not. But as Paul made it clear, all who accept Jesus as Lord and obey the gospel are a part of spiritual Israel. So Paul then addressed this poor attitude that they had, it's very likely that some of them were Roman citizens, when you think about it. You know, he's, he's dealing with the church here in Rome, and probably a great many of them were Roman citizens. And so they thought they were special and privileged people. Romans, that's what Romans thought back then in the first century. And so that would have led to arrogance, something that Romans were very well known for. It was already bad enough that the Jews were rebellious people and had given the Romans such a a hard time, have given the authorities such a hard time because they were so rebellious, so anti-government in mentality, not wanting anyone to rule over them. So these Gentile Christians were behaving the same way. And so Paul's writing to them and trying to address this issue, trying to get after them, trying to warn them not to behave like that. But he goes further and he tells them to obey those in authority. We saw that two weeks ago. To not be rebellious against the governing authorities like the Jews had done and to give everyone what they owe. So now we come to this section in the book of Romans where Paul is still talking about owing, but he talks about something different, as you're going to see. We're going to go over verses 8 to 10 again, just to start off our lesson. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So when you have debt, it means you still owe something to someone. When Paul said, let no debt remain outstanding except, Paul was making it clear that these Gentile Christians had a debt to pay. 
What was that debt? What was it they owed? Some people like to think that it's the debt we owe to God that Jesus paid, but that wouldn't make sense. doesn't fit the context. Others might say it is simply the debt we owe to God for loving us the way that he does. And again, doesn't fit the context. But the statement is certainly true. Both of those statements are true, right? Obviously, we owe God a debt for loving us the way that he does. And Jesus paid the debt that we owe. One dictionary that I looked at gave this definition of debt. Something that is owed or that one is bound to pay or pay to or perform for another. So let me say that again. Something that is owed or that one is bound to pay to or perform for another. Another dictionary said an obligation or liability to pay or render something to someone else. What Paul was talking about wasn't just money owed to someone. That's not what he's talking about here. Because this, he had already told the Gentile Christians already, to give to everyone what they owed them, whether it was taxes, revenue, respect, or honor. He covered that already. In other translations, instead of taxes and revenue, as we read in the NIV, it will say tribute and custom, or tribute and taxes. Along with the tribute and taxes, the Christian must owe respect and honor if it is due a person. Paul said in verse 8, don't let anything remain outstanding except the continuing debt or obligation to love one another. Think of the word obligation. You have an obligation to love one another. That's what Paul says. That is something that should always be owed, and Christians should never think that they have paid this debt in full so that they don't have to love anyone anymore. You should never think that way. We are always in debt to love one another. This debt or obligation always remains Outstanding. It is always owed. One Bible commentator said, When Paul said for us to give everyone what you owe them, this means that we should fully discharge our responsibilities as citizens and we should avoid dodging reasonable civic responsibilities, such as paying our taxes. Love is admonished and we are to owe no man anything save to love one another. The reason why we are to love, owe love, always, is that it is a debt that can never be paid. If you express your love, you still owe as much after you are done. You still owe love even after you've loved. In other words, it's not like I will come up to Che and say, well, okay, I'm going to stop loving you now. I think you've had enough for today. You know, think about the logic of it, right? You always owe love. Love is something you always have to do. There is no stopping. Yes, I had that, but I've got a delay. That's fine, I know. Do you want to back up one slide, Scott? So I had that to put that up there. But anyways, this is what I just said a second ago. About, okay, I'm going to stop loving you now. I gave you enough today for tonight. And so the idea is we're always supposed to love. It doesn't stop. There's no ending to it. It's, it's a debt that we owe continually. So love is something that we should give to another always. We should never stop giving love. It can never be paid in full. It is a continuing debt, a continuing debt. So we don't think of loving somebody as a debt, do we? It doesn't make any sense to us, but it is. It's what we owe God. We owe God the debt of loving other people because God loved us. To love your fellow man fulfills the law, Paul said. If you really love your fellow man, then you won't break the law, but instead you will fulfill it. If you really love, you really love, <coughs> excuse me, let me start off again. <coughs> if you really love your, your, your husband or your wife, then you won't commit adultery. If you really love someone, then you, the thought of killing them is never going to cross your mind. 
If you really love someone, then you're not going to steal from them, etc., etc., etc. So love is the fulfillment of the law. It's real, it's sincere, it's genuine love. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I wonder if you guys remember that. The whole point of that was to help them to show love toward their brother. If you don't want to hurt, you don't want to lose your eye, then don't take out your brother's eye. And of course, the Israelites took that and turned it around and turned it as a way to have revenge on their brother. Oh, you did this to me, I can hurt you back now. And so that's not what God had ever intended. The entire law was summed up in this. All the commandments can be summed up in one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God always wanted for his people. That's what God wants for his people today. That we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love them like you want to be loved. That's what we're supposed to do. James said in James chapter 2, verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You are doing right. This pleases our God. Everybody wins. It's a win-win situation. This is something that we learn and we grow in as Christians, to love others, to love our neighbor as ourselves. The longer we have been a Christian, the more we see this, because we've had a longer time to put this into practice. We learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. We learn how to love the way that we should. Love others even if they don't deserve love. It is what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus loved people even though they didn't deserve love. Jesus loved you, even though you didn't deserve love. Think about that. Put yourself in that context. Jesus loved you, even though you did not deserve love. Take a look now in chapter 13, Romans, verse 11. And Paul says, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. We are to continually love others. We have to stop thinking the way that the world thinks. The world only wants to love those who love them. That's not the way that we're supposed to think. Not so with the Christian. We are to love everyone. And we are to do this knowing that our salvation is closer now than when we first became a Christian. In other words, each day we live is one day closer to the day Jesus will return for his people. Since we don't know when that day will come, we ought to live our lives as if each day is the day he will come. Think about that for a moment. If you knew for certain today would be the day that Jesus is going to return, wouldn't you be ready for it? What would you have cleaned up in the last two weeks in preparation for his arrival? What would you have worked on? Well, these are the things you're supposed to work on now because we don't know the day that Jesus is going to come back. We should always be ready and doing the Lord's will. And the Lord's will is that we love one another and we live holy lives. That's what God wants from us. And so the contemporary English version, I like to go to this version once in a while, because sometimes it has a good, good wording in the way that it translates the verse. It says, you know what sort of times we live in, and so you should live properly. It is time to wake up. You know that the day when we will be saved is nearer now than when we first put our faith in the Lord. Of course, we're saved now, but we receive our salvation in full when Jesus returns for us. And so think about those words. Verses 12 and 13 now. Take a look and see what it says here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. So Paul urged these Gentile Christians to live good lives. 
He urged them to obey the governing authorities, be good citizens, pay their taxes as they should, and love everyone, even the Jews who were so rebellious and arrogant. They were to love even the Roman government and those in authority, no matter how much of a burden they placed on them. And now Paul changes the mindset here, and he's talking about other Gentiles that live around them. And he's telling them, don't behave like them. The things that Paul listed were quite common in Paul's time. Orgies, he says, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery. Debauchery means moral corruption. Dissension, which means disagreements, quarreling, division, and finally jealousy. He mentions these things. These were things that were seen in the Greco-Roman world. It's very prominent. You can see it everywhere. It was moral corruption. For many, there were no morals and values. People in Paul's time behaved immorally, and these Gentile Christians were not to behave like them, and neither are we. These are things that are for us today. We're not to behave like that. He gives us a list. And they were not to worship our God the way that all these Gentiles around them worshipped their so-called gods. Back in the first century, there was all kinds of gods that people worshipped. They had the Greek gods. They had the Roman gods. There was temples set up everywhere. The Temple of Aphrodite, etc. And people used to worship those gods in ways that is immoral. So you had temple prostitutes. You had all kinds of sacrifices that were not pleasing to God. But to their gods it was. So imagine some of these Gentiles coming into the church. Imagine them trying to worship God the way that they did their so-called gods. Imagine somebody coming in here in our worship service and trying to worship God the way that they worship somebody else. How would you feel about that? You know, set up a little altar in the front here and start sacrificing an animal in front of you guys? How would you feel about that, right? Think about it, what it must have been like at this time. And he's telling them, don't behave like these Gentiles that you see around you. This is not the way that you worship God, our holy God. It's not acceptable. So they were not to clothe themselves with sinfulness, and neither are we. Instead, verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. You see, sinful nature, but I like the wording of sinful flesh. It's a little better. And so we are to clothe ourselves with Christ. Pleasing the God of all creation starts with clothing ourselves with Christ, putting on Christ through the waters of baptism. After that, we are to not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. We're not to think about the things that we used to get caught up in before we were Christians. We're to put those things away. We are to turn away from sin. We're to work at getting rid of sin in our lives. It means life changes for all of us. We're all going through life changes. And that would mean that if the urge hit you to do something that is wrong, you have to replace it with something that is holy. You have to find a way to deal with sin. If you know for certain that something is going to tempt you, stay away from it. Don't create a situation that will create sin. Don't plan for sin. Run away from it, just like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife when she tried to get him to commit sin. Concern yourself with spiritual things. Change your habits. Get away from sin. This is and will be a lifetime battle. It is for each and every one of us. We all have things that we deal with, but we have to continue dealing with those things. We can't give up. We have to continue to fight those things and try to get sin under control. It won't be easy, but God will bless you for it. We have to remember that. So at the beginning of this lesson, I said the lesson for today is one of the most important lessons 
from the Holy Word of God. Well, what is that lesson? What do we just talk about all throughout? Come to God through his son, Jesus, and be holy as he is holy. This is what Paul was trying to get through to these Gentiles. Think about the immoral world they came out of, the kind of lifestyle they lived, and now they were in the church, and he's telling them, you have to get rid of sin, you have to work on these things, these things are ungodly, they're not okay with God. And so that's the message for us today, that we have to come to God through Jesus, and we have to be holy as he is holy. We serve a holy God, let's not forget that. God who is righteous, and so we need to honor him. If you are here today and you have not obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, won't you do that today and live your life for God? Let's stand and sing our last song of the morning.